Today's guest on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett is the founder and chairman of the advanced technology development firm Spencer Trask and Company. Throughout his career, he's played a role in founding or funding some of the most profound discoveries in science and technology today, some very, very big ones. He has an exceptional ability to recognize technology and medical revolutions, and I'm honored to have him here on All Business. Welcome, Kevin Kimberlin. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, Kevin, first question up. Who's Spencer Trask? Spencer Trask is a venture firm that is building companies uh, usually from the ground floor. So it's a start from scratch all the way to finish business development company focusing on advanced technologies. So you're making a lot of money for a lot of people that invest and in, in you're investing in new companies. But go go back to the roots because I've read the book on Spencer Trask. Okay. And I want to know the, the guy because I thought, I, and I'm a history buff and I mm-hmm. love to listen to legacy. And there's a lot of legacy when I hear Spencer Trask. So tell me, tell me who Spencer Trask is. Well, uh, Mr. Trask was a turn of the century and before uh, financier and entrepreneur. Uh, He was the guy that backed Thomas Edison before Thomas Edison was Thomas Edison. Yeah, but when when Thomas Edison was needed a VC and he was a startup, same same thing. I mean, so in essence, you're doing the same thing for guys, the, the future Thomas Edison's is the best way to describe what you do. The more things change, the more they stay the same. They do, don't they? They never really do. You know, I, you know, you deal with billions of dollars. I just tell people, take the zeros off, and you're still left with the same fundamental things, which we see today, as we saw back in Thomas Edison's time. It's, right? it's the same thing. You, you, you get a big idea. In this case, it was Thomas Edison's light bulb. Uh, but a light bulb on its own is pretty useless. Ten light bulbs, a hundred light bulbs. What you really need is the infrastructure, yeah. the connective tissue, uh, which is, uh, of course, the electricity uh, system. So, And it's got to work, right? The light bulbs, you really got to work. I mean, because someone once asked Edison, I thought it was a great quote, and I saw this in the book about Spencer Trask, and I now use this in things that I talk about. They said, you, you, you failed 10,000 times to make a light bulb. And he said, no, I found 10,000 ways to make the the right light bulb or some, something some, like some, similar <laughs> similar to that come on give, give me credit I mean, like, what, what was it you remember the exact quote i don't remember the exact but it's quote. better so, so i don't the, i don't want to botch it yeah but the real quote's better than what i just gave you so that's 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 what you're telling me you should see the look on his face i know you can't see that on the podcast but it's like hey hazlet is that no that's not what i said that's not what he said let me ask you you see mike uh, kind of uh, uh the glasses half empty, meaning, yeah, right. No, you've got a glass of water sitting there right there. But you see the possibilities in the glass. Not that it's 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 empty. It's it's half full. So the, you're, that's what I should have said. You So you see the glass is a really half full kind of guy, right? Well, uh, that's not the way I would look at it. How would you look at it? it uh, like any creative act and being an entrepreneur or helping entrepreneurs fill in the missing pieces is a creative act. It's uh, seeing what's not there or seeing what needs to be Revealed, uh, and that's that's the critical uh, piece. It's like uh, uh, when Michelangelo looked at that block of marble. Yeah. David was there. Yeah, 
And he saw it. And he saw it. In a, he, in a nanosecond. He, right? he, well, it took several years. Yeah, but, but I mean, he saw the vision. Of what the that, vision, exactly. Because I, I think this interview is a little going to be difficult because I say things, but you you have a different twist. That's what I like about you mm-hmm. is that you're, I bet you when you were a kid, you looked at a pen and said, I looked at it and said, it's a pen. And you look at it and say, how did the ink come out of it? And think of the manuscript you could write with it and the, and the music you could write. Is that kind of the way you would look at things? Well, it helps to have an imagination that's, uh, I think, expansive. Yeah, were you always that way? Um, well, I started off as a musician, and so I think uh, music is probably the most amorphous art. When you uh, make a sculpture, for instance, you've got something in your hands. When you when you write a book, you've got something um, you know in your hands. The pen that you mentioned. With music, you've got nothing but energy between people. Um, the electromagnetic energy that comes out of your instrument into the ear—it's—it's it's just the most amorphous uh, creative act that I, that I can think of. Anyway, so I started off in that in that environment. Uh, not a very good musician at the time. What'd you play? Well, I'm just curious. Well, I did the the normal rock and roll stuff. Did uh, you really? Yeah. So I I was a poser. Uh, versus <laughs> a, a, a musician. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your favorite band back then? Uh, Led Zeppelin was, oh, and yeah. cool, <laughs> and still is. Yeah. Uh, so I've gone from being a poser to a composer. I don't think now. you know you're the, you're part of the Connecticut crowd. I don't always think you as a Led Zeppelin. There's got to be a few of those hidden up there, right? Andy, did you ever go to a Dead concert? No, I was not a Dead fan, yeah, I've but never been uh, you know the uh, oh, people love them. If you ask my daughter uh, who her favorite band is, I think she'd tell you Led Zeppelin. Is that the same thing? So yeah. that's which is cool. Do you do you see that? I mean, you work with such great companies, and we'll get into some of the names and the ways in which you help to solve those mm-hmm. things. And you mentioned this music process of of you know maybe like conducting an orchestra to mm-hmm. some extent. Do you see that the same kind of thing, that same process being developed around the, the startup of a business and the running of a business and the efficiency of that? Uh, well, it's not so much of a conductor. A conductor, you need all your uh, musicians on the stage. There's a script that you're basically performing something that's already been written. Uh, you've got world-class experts and... Uh, um, you know, everyone knows what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the startup business ex- is pretty much the exact opposite. You have an idea, the, the the vision that we talked about. You have some people who hopefully have a you know strong desire or uh, what we call a obsessiveness to make that dream uh, come real. Uh, and then you've got to pull together the things that aren't there, as I was mentioning earlier, the thing, yeah. the missing pieces. So it's it's that's where the creative act uh, comes in. So I, I think it's more like a an analogy as a as a producer of a movie. Where yeah. you, you oh, that's a good that's a good way because you know, when you look at like the entrepreneurs of startup, they they start off as a you know one man band, then they kind of move to devout followers. Right. Right. And some of those devout followers shouldn't stick with them going to the next stage, and then they kind of move into that skilled practitioners, professionals, and stuff. Where do you see your role, Spencer Trask, in terms of funding and, and VC and the work that you do? Because it's not just about the money. Money's, mm-hmm. of, course, of course, important, but you do a lot more than that, right? Well, yeah. I mean, every situation is different, but uh, the I think the common thread is we're the thread. We're mm-hmm. the connective tissue that helps the entrepreneur, uh, when whether it's bringing in customers or partners or, or talent or the right kind of capital. Um, 
you know, it's whatever need uh, needs to be done. I, I look at a situation and say, okay, what's the gap and how can we fill it? And uh, uh, that's one of the criteria that we have when we make it. Yeah, do, do you see, uh, I'm going to get to the money side of that. I was, there was a question I was going to, do you see us solving the problem or do you look at it as how much money we make? Well, you have to factor in the uh, uh, economic return, uh, and I think that's extremely important. Uh, I mean, you've got investors, right, that are putting money in your fund, so you got to deliver for that, right? And, and your own money. I mean, I know you put a lot of your own money in there, too, right? Well, um, again, financial returns are, are important, uh, but there's also the, you know, the, the adding value to uh, the world, uh, adding uh Social capital, if you will. So it's it's both financial capital and social capital that you, we factor. You, which one drives you most? You know, in terms of, I mean, when you get to a certain point in your life, I mean, mm-hmm. you got enough money, you got what you do, but we do, you know, how we making money is how we keep score. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the, I say that uh, constantly. But but at the same time, you're compelled to do great things. I mean, I mean, some of the things I look at what you guys have mm-hmm. done in terms of some of the the biotech work. I mm-hmm. look at that, and we'll talk, I you know certainly bring that up mm-hmm. or the first mobile phone Mm -hmm. that you had you know you you played a big major role in the very first mobile phone Mm -hmm. is that what drives you is the solving of those things or you know or is it still making them is it still returning money back to the investors well uh you know again what drives you and i think what drives all people is the 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 chance to make a difference uh so yes first and foremost we're you know i guess ambitious enough and we like to back people with ambitions that really think that they can touch the lives of millions of people so Mm -hmm. it's the it's the mission first it's the uh change the world uh opportunity that really drives us uh of course it's got to be an economic return you've got to have a sustainable business to be able to push that mission forward uh through the years uh but it all comes from the idea it starts with the idea and that idea if it's strong enough and bright enough and unique enough and i think that's that's uh that's extremely important you have to be good at the end i mean it's it's, i i tell people when i'm giving speeches if you suck offline you'll suck online just because you put it online it's not good you you would be much more eloquent in the way you said it i go out to fans and i ask them questions like what would you like to hear from kevin what would you like to ask him and and i had a whole bunch of many of them were hey can we can i tell them about my idea (laughs) can i pitch something to them that was one but there was a great question that come in from uh chad portner Mm -hmm. and here's what he asked he said what has been the most influential experience that has motivated him in his life positive or a negative event i thought that was a good good question so uh, is it one first of all is it one thing or is it lots of things i would imagine for you it's lots of things well i think you know, everybody's life is accumulation of uh of things i think in terms of pivotal influences uh or, or uh, influential experience that, yeah, yeah, that motivates okay. you. Okay, experiences. I, I guess uh, being on the roadshow for Genentech at the beginning of the biotechnology revolution. Talk about it? Genentech. Um, well, it was a young guy, Bob Swanson, in his early 30s, who had started a company in uh, you know f- four or five years was taking that idea and and uh, building the right kind of partnerships and packaging it for the financial community. Uh, and taking it public, and I just—I uh, was at, in school at the time, uh, fortunate enough to be on the roadshow, and uh, 
was very impressed, and that's sort of the beginning of my career. That kind of tr- triggered you to say, hey, I can go do this, and I can do more of it. Well, I didn't think I could do it at the time. I said, i got to figure out how to do it. Yeah, so is that because of the limitations of getting started, or you didn't know? Or, I mean, when you say, when you make a comment like that, mm-hmm. that's a voice in your head somewhere that's saying something. What, what was holding you back? Was it experience, or? Yes, it was experience. It was, yeah. the, you know, brand new technology at the time. Not too many people knew biotechnology, so there was there was a lot to learn uh and um you know that was that was sort of a seminal event for me yeah in terms of that light did a light bulb go off and you you got excited by it your palms start getting sweaty about thinking well at the at the time when genetic went public everybody was excited it was <laughs> yeah, a, it was a big use. it was a big how, how big many hit. how much money was that back then mm, I, the, I remember the offering price being in the twenty dollar range and uh, one of the guys on the pricing committee, David McCallum, uh, didn't know whether they should price it at 20 or 100. And yeah. he said, uh, you know, no matter what we price it at, I'm going to be wrong. So, yeah, exactly. Which is the case with most IPOs. Right? Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's hard. To, it's tough. You want to leave some, uh, some money for the investors, and that, that one was up three or four fold in the first couple yeah, of days. Yeah, what was the market cap that ended up? Remember that? I don't remember that. Yeah, no. it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a ton, ton of it at that time. Well, um, when you when you think about uh, the legacy of Spencer Trask, mm-hmm. discovering the ideas that shape the future. I mean, if I look at and I went and pulled that right off your website, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at that legacy, um, and that that's been Spencer Trask of the past and and today. What what do you see are the ideas that you do see for the future? You say, hey, look, this is this is something we're going to pay attention to. Well, I think there there's a a constellation of, of events that are happening right now that I think are, are a sea change in, in the venture business, the innovation business in particular. Uh, to answer your question, I think open innovation is um, in its early stages, but it's going to completely transform. Talking about collaborative, kind of like just being wide open for everybody and everybody shares or? Well, that's one manifestation. That's uh, you know crowdfunding or mm-hmm. you know, crowdsourcing or friend sourcing. Uh, yeah, but uh, open innovation can be uh, extremely uh, proprietary, and uh, we're working with a lot of major companies that are at the front end of their research efforts, trying to reach outside the the confines of their own corporation to the whole world of talent. It's uh, Clay Shirky's cognitive surplus and. Uh, we've built a couple of uh, companies that are designed to help large organizations tap that long tail of creativity, uh, and that's what I mean by open innovation. Okay. Well, well speaking of innovation, I got to talk. I got to take a moment to talk about opportunity. And opportunity for me is about America running on Duncan. It's one of the. Uh, it's a fact to back up with the slogan: On average, Duncan sells more than thirty cups of coffee every single second. My favorite is the Duncan Espresso. It's just what I need in the morning. In fact, I take about four of those because all business with Jeffrey Hazler definitely runs on Duncan and runs on full espressos. Uh, none of that no caffeine stuff for me. You drink coffee at all, Kevin? No, I don't. You don't? No. You just, what do you drink? Uh, green tea. Green tea. Yeah, yeah you yeah. look like a green tea kind of guy. <laughs> I, had, I had Seth Godin the other day, and he told me he drank 28 cups, I think, of green tea a day. You drink that much? No. Yeah, that's he's got a, you, yeah. he, he's a little guy. He's going to be wired. He'd be wired. Yeah. Uh, Seth is – you guys are a lot of like deep thinkers, I like, which yeah, is thanks. awesome. Yeah, thank you. Hey, what can investors um, today – 
or business people as well, because I got investors and business people both listening here, learn from, a, you know, you're a philanthropist. I mean, you, you do a lot, but you know, you certainly, you're a capitalist as well, without question. But as a philanthropist, what can people um, learn from you and learn from like, like Spencer Trask, you know, the, the name of which the company is founded on? Well, I think the um, main thing, and it's very difficult to do these days, but that is to think long term. Uh, we try to think, you know, not three to five years, but, you know, 10 to 20 years. And that, again, goes back to uh, Mr. Trask. Yeah. When you're starting the electricity infrastructure for the world, you're not yeah. thinking about the next quarter. Yeah, exactly, because you got to put up a lot. I mean, I can remember listening to great storytellers, and there was a guy that I knew from down south, and he talked about the first, and well, a good friend of mine from Mississippi. Yeah, he was actually part of the, he was in World War II. He, and he's 70, no, now he's 90 years old, but the first time I heard the story, I'm rambling on, but first time I heard the story, he was telling me about the time they put up a, electricity pole in his front yard you know um because he lived in a rural area so you think about how long it took and that was in in the 30s Mm -hmm. he was talking about that so it's i mean it's really difficult these days with the you know for large corporations the quarterly uh, pressure and uh and i think it uh, you know we we live in a very risk-averse world uh last uh, five or six weeks i think the treasury bond market has been going at zero percent interest you know does that make it tough then for startups because or is it make it better for those that are have a shorter return well the availability capital is uh, is always an issue for for a company you're bringing something new into the world and something new means something different something foreign hopefully to something different Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, you know again a risk averse world I think uh major companies are under uh, so much pressure to deliver results. Yeah. For instance, IBM uh, in, in the last 15 years has sent back $108 billion mm. to their shareholders. Now that's IBM, got the largest patent portfolio yeah. in the world, one Huge. of the greatest organizations in terms Over of Over 40,000 patents, I never seem to recall. More, a lot Is more it more than that? Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. old, maybe even yeah. old number. A lot more than that. Um, so, you know, if, if they can't see ways to innovate and grow their organic business and that they see a better use of the capital, sending it back to shareholders so so that we're getting very low returns out of that cash. I mean, we don't yeah. want we don't want the cash. That's why we invested in, 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 in IBM. So that's at the at the major company level that one you know, the driver of world GDP is innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so I guess I'm I'm struggling in an environment where there's such short-term pressure on uh, executives, um, and then such a risk-averse uh, world in terms of uh, backing innovation. That uh, I, I think that reflects a lot of uh, the 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 struggles that startups have. Does that keep you up at night, or what what keeps you up at night? No, that doesn't keep me up at night. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess what keeps me up at night, honestly, is there's so many opportunities. Uh, the flip side of uh, what I what I just said about the uh, um, availability of capital, and uh, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what keeps me up is is seeing the potential to do transformative things, uh, and um, not getting sort of too involved in too many things. So give me an idea, because uh, I want to come back to how companies get 
noticed by you, okay, mm-hmm. and your your company because you know you got a, you got I won't say a pile of cash, but you got cash, you got money that you're investing in the right things. Well, what do you see? What do you, what is a transformative thing that you that you're excited about right now, or that you're working on, or that you guys have invested in already? Can you talk about those things? Well, it's always a challenge before you're a, a, a market leader, but I guess. Uh, um, you know, without saying a lot, uh, you know, the Internet of Things is a very big thing. Yeah, you so know, you, you're going to track everything. You're going to have a tag. Everything's going to have an identification. And uh, you're going to know how many times you wore the shirt. You know, when when you wore it, what date you wore it. Anyone in yeah. the world can no. know how yeah. how many yeah. times you wore this shirt. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, if, if, yeah, that's true. If, if, if they, they're good if they hackers. Hack in, <laughs> if they hack it in. Why, why you'd want to know. But if you wanted to know, yeah. you know, did I wear that on, well, for me, did I wear that on television last time or, yeah. you know, those kind of things. But if, uh, if, there, if there's a, a worker that's falling down, mm-hmm. you can track the, uh, you know, that, that person. You can tell if there's a man down on an oil rig. You can tell if there's a... Or where uh, your UPS a, trucks are. Or <laughs> where your UPS trucks are, yeah. where your Mercedes is. Uh, or package. And, uh, you know, so the list goes on and on. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be, in John Chambers' estimation, $19 trillion business in the next 10 years. It's going to be huge. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be the next big thing. And it's happening, of course, uh, already. But, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at that. I think wearable... Computing is going to be very, very big. It's, it's in a sense, an extension of what we were just talking about. But the, um, you know, the, the the body becomes a computer. The, the the shirt you were just talking about is laced with, uh, uh, you know, sensors, and so your your body is now a part of the uh, mm-hmm. internet. Yeah. And, and 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 instead of having your hand be using a mouse or your fingertips t- touching on a screen uh your your skin becomes the uh, the mouse yeah uh your shirt becomes the mouse and it's tracking every movement uh, it, it's getting senses from uh you know your 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 gait your your run and telling you know your shoe manufacturer uh nike for example exactly where you ought to be um Targeting the message for somebody to buy the next uh, uh, Nike shoe. So, the ability to have your skin sort of be the living, breathing, computing clothes is, uh, uh, you know, that's pretty profound. Yeah, and, or an energy source. You know, it could be, an, you know, you could radiate the heat off. You could do something. And there's all these kinds yep. of possibilities. I yep. can't even yep. think of it yep. except for yep. really smart yeah, people. Yeah. Sure. I'm yeah. just going to be buying yeah. them, I think, pretty much. <laughs> But uh, give me your observation on on the startup culture today. Well, you know, it's the best of worlds. It's the worst of worlds. Uh, Best of times, worst of times. You've got, um, you know, a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. me-tooism. Apple's uh, app uh, ecosystem, you know, not that every app is a a business, but I think it's an interesting proxy. There's uh, 1.6 billion apps on the Apple. And not stopping. uh, and not stopping. Uh, uh, now, most of those are struggling to find a customer. Yeah. Uh, as are most companies. That's uh, um, that. So. Yeah, a lot of people build it and hope they come, but that's a bad thing. All you do is get stuck with a, a baseball field in the middle of Iowa, and no one ever sees. That's true. <laughs> the thing that's always missing with the, a lot of startups is the customer that yeah. pays and the yeah. customer that comes back. Um, but you know, there are a lot of uh, 
funding platforms, uh, the angel list, the mm-hmm. second markets, the uh, seed invest that are allowing um, entrepreneurs to get their ideas out to a much broader audience. Uh, The Jobs Act has made it much more flexible for you to um, tell your story and and not have the former restrictions on uh, private placements. So that's that's a great thing, and I think it's uh, in the early stages of really transforming the uh, startup community. And and broader than that, I think that what we're looking at is the beginning of of a new renaissance in how innovation is done. And I think personally that the uh, combination of open innovation and these kind of platforms is really gonna be of huge benefit, not just to the startup world, in um, getting your business off and launched and, and global, globally recognized and globally supported, but also the major corporations. Uh, again, we're, 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 we're building platforms to help them do innovation on a global basis. Um, and uh, you know the seed investors of the world are making it easy for anybody to tap into that, and I think that combination over time is really going to be transformative. Yeah, I, I you know just wrote a book, Think Big, Act Bigger. Do you think the big companies are are able to do that? I mean, the the opportunities there. You think they have the ability to innovate like you're talking about? Um, well, sure. They have the, sure, they have the ability. They have the, the ability, key. but again, there's the, there's that pressure, the, the shareholder pressure, the short-termism that, uh, I mean, uh, Larry Fink just sent out a letter to uh, yeah. all the CEOs saying, you know what, stop sending us the cash. Yeah. Uh, I think last year alone, uh, you know, corporate America sent back $1.1 trillion of cash, uh, you know, either through repurchases or dividends, and that, that money shouldn't be sent back to shareholders most of it should be de- deployed in uh, uh redeployed in uh, in innovation so so that they it's, have it's, more to send back later on right well it's d- more d- growing the company value. yes more value exactly the organic growth uh, that uh, people invest in a company for the first in, in the first place so i i think the um, you know the short term termism is what's got to go uh be balanced with the the need for long term thinking mm-hmm and I, well, there then lies the, the the real problem for uh, startups too. You know, to be able to say, hey, we're a long, long, long term. You know, uh, of course, Amazon's been able to say that for a long, long time. So, but and look what they're doing. I mean, and how well they've done it. Yeah, sure. What, what's um, I want to take back because Spencer Trask. I love the history. I'm I'm a huge history buff, and I, I go to the history and I look at what you're doing today. You're in my estimation, or what I would give, the, and whether you agree with this or not, I, you're the new Spencer Trask. You're the guy, okay? And you're looking for the new Thomas Edison's. Are there the, are there new Thomas Edison's out there? No, sure. All right. So where do you where do you see them, or what do they look like? <laughs> How do I find one? Oh, well, yeah. Don't you? Don't we all want to find one? We all do, really, don't we? Sure. I mean, uh, you're looking for the odd. We're looking for the odd duck, the the person that doesn't. Uh, um, see the world uh, the way that most people think. You need you need the contrarian. You need is somebody it, who's completely out of sync. I love that word. Yeah, I love that word. So the contrarian who's going a little bit against the stream because he's got this great idea or mm-hmm. great system, great product, whatever mm-hmm. it is, to say, look, we're we gotta we gotta spin it. We mm-hmm. gotta rotate it mm-hmm. in a different way. Yeah, and um, you know it's hard to be the outlier. It's hard to be a, a contrarian because. You know the social pressures and the you know atmospherics. The, everything is is uh, driving all of us in a certain direction, and to be the odd duck is is uh, you know 
painful sometimes. Well, you but. know, I we were talking again a discussion because I told some folks I was going to have a discussion with you, and I said, "Look, this Thomas Edison." And we've explained it, mm-hmm. and they already said, "Well, there, there's no Thomas Edison out there." I said, "No, there have mm-hmm. been," mm-hmm. I, and I and I, I used like there's Steve Jobs, there's, sure. there's Bill Gates. Yep, yep. Um, I would suggest that Elon Musk is in, in that kind of uh, field right now, or certainly Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, you know, would you put Mark in that thing? We we debated. Oh, yeah. By the way, his name came up, yeah, and, sure. and we debated it um, absolutely back and forth. Yeah, and, yeah. And why would you say that? Why? Well, Mark Zuckerberg has figured out a way to to take a common, you know, <laughs> basic human need, which is you know vanity. Yeah. You know, want to share my life, want to uh, you know experience other people's lives, and and uh, and built a you know an incredible networking and uh, social connective tissue. Are you on so, Facebook? I'm curious. Uh, no, I'm not a big. Personally, I'm not a big fa- Facebook uh, user, but uh, my wife and family, yeah, they in- do it. Instagram, Facebook, all the time. So. Yeah, see, well, I, you know, and I use it for the business, so you know, to promote myself because of the show and so forth. But you know what, the real value I like about it is I connect to my family. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm talking yep. to cousins That's and right. the kids yeah. of my cousins mm-hmm. that I never would get a chance to visit mm-hmm. with, quite frankly, all around the country, yeah. and I live better because of it. And I think that's what Mark Zuckerberg saw. Yeah, 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 I agree. So, which is awesome. Well, we not. I'm not sure what that was, but it's not time up. I'll give you that right now. But let me let me jump in here because that is a good reminder for me right now. Great to have the good folks from Liberty Tax on board. All business. Liberty is the fastest growing retail tax preparation ever, with over 4,000 offices across North America. It's a great seasonal franchise opportunity too. So if you're looking to get into the business, we're talking about getting into business. This is a little bit different business than the ones that we're talking here with Kevin. But add another service to your business, or you just need great tax prep services. Look to liberty i think that's pretty cool so um should let me ask you a question should entrepreneurs be you've been all i'm gonna go back to you Mm -hmm. Uh, you've been described as an entrepreneur who's obsessed with a missionary or mission Mm -hmm. and what is that how would you describe that well i'm not sure that's we're looking for obsessive missionaries Mm -hmm. Uh, you know back to what we were just talking about to be a, a contrarian is to be a missionary. You're you're trying to do something that's never been done, um, and a missionary is going into dangerous territory. Um, a missionary is a proselytizer and a promoter and a an evangelist. So that's what we're looking for. But it has to be somebody who can take the, the you know the the pain of of defeat and the pain of failure and the pain of rejection. Which is why you have to be an obsessive. Why you have to be able to to deal with uh, you know a hostile world, a, yeah. world that we live in. Any any idea that's new is automatically you know you're gonna at be at, risk. You're, you're going to attract distractors. You're going to attract people. Yeah. It's I actually heard somebody give a description of a thought leader. Okay, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I like the term, but let's just use that as a, as the way it is, or the idea that you're just talking about. Mm-hmm. If you don't have haters, if you don't have people who are critical of it, then it's not really a good a good idea or a good thought. I thought that was pretty good. That made me feel better about because when I go and read my reviews or read things that people say, mm-hmm. sometimes I go, "Yeah, hey, I need more of those." <laughs> well, you learn a lot more from people that disagree with you, and uh, you learn a lot more by looking in the uh, mirror of your enemy than by uh, looking in the mirror and yeah. seeing yourself or talking to your mom or, or seeing yeah. somebody who just you know gives you positive feedback. So yeah, yeah you you need the feedback to learn, and uh, the best kind is the, the you know the painful kind. Uh, 
but you know, I think uh, the obsessive missionary is somebody that has such an incredibly f- uh, intrinsic belief in what their idea is or what their dream is that even with all this learning and all this uh, uh, hostile short-term uh, world, they keep pressing on. Yeah, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. They yeah, drink it, yeah. they're drinking it by the gallon. <laughs> you know, I, you know, you and I had a chance to visit one time, and we got on a discussion, which I just found fascinating. It was around Jonas Salk. Mm-hmm. And you've met him, right? Uh, well, Jonas and I were partners for nine years. Uh, Talk but, to me about how that, how did you meet? How did you first meet? Because I thought that was a pretty cool story. Uh, well, Jonas Salk, of course, uh, was the fellow that helped develop the first influenza vaccine and uh, uh, became, you know, nice. internationally beloved uh, because of his polio vaccine. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, early in my career, I got very concerned about the preventable div- diseases that uh, um, that vaccines, I think, could be uh D- uh, designed using some of the new biotechnologies. Uh, so I did research, coming from a research background, and uh, came upon an article in the um, microbiology uh, publication. And there was a picture of uh, Jonas Salk in the article that had just uh, gotten a, an, an award or a, a commendation for the... Um, anniversary of the polio field mm-hmm. trial um anyway that that um, that picture in the in the magazine just sort of came alive to me it was like he was moving and talking to me and you know said give me a call the picture did, did you just pick up the phone and call so um he was actually easy to locate because he you was know, on facebook worked, no no he worked <laughs> <laughs> He uh, built the Salk Institute, yeah. so I just started calling the Salk Institute and, and uh, um, you know, got his office and left a message. And, uh, you know, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. Right. So, uh, you know, took a while to get through. I happened to be in Los Angeles uh, in an airport in, in the shower mm-hmm. uh, with shampoo and my hair and I was stark naked and had one of his phones right outside the uh, sure. shower yeah. uh, phone ring. So I reached out and... Uh, uh, on the phone, Jonas Salk, returning your phone call. Whoa. And I'm stark naked, and it's taken me <laughs> literally weeks to get through, so I uh, didn't I didn't dare say, let me call you back after Did you I turn draw. the shower? Did you turn the shower off? I turned the shower off. Okay. And, you know, shivering and stark naked, I gave my pitch that the world did you, needed. You, were you doing it in the tub, or did you step out of the tub? I stepped out of the tub, and... Uh, I'm just visualizing I, this. I, yeah. Well, you visualize it. I was literally shaking because yeah. I, I didn't I couldn't dry off. And, right. And, um, you know, making my impassioned plea about the need for a, a new generation of uh, vaccines, and... Uh, that I wanted to talk to him, and I was really close to San Diego where the Salk Institute, and I could come down, you know, right away. And, uh, um, you know, after a bit of back and forth, he agreed to meet me at his house. How, how long did that conversation last? Uh, that was 15 minutes. Yeah, but then, but you had to really get his attention, right? I mean, this yeah. is like instead of an elevator pitch, it's a yeah. naked pitch. But, I mean, you're, you're it's, everything's hanging out there, if right. I say that, yep. Uh, yep. in a way. Yep. But, did, I mean, did you have that down? Did you Had you practiced that beforehand? So if he calls me, here's what I'm ready for? Uh, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. I was talking to, to a lot of uh, immunologists and, and doctors at the time, so I, I guess I had practiced enough that I uh, – I was not stumbling over the pitch. Yeah. 
And it changes over time, doesn't it? I mean, don't you find yourself constantly refining the message as you learn new things and do different ways? No, that's a good point. Again, back to the the learning. Um, When you're sculpting that stone, uh, you know, you don't exactly know which way to chip and which way to um, mm-hmm. point uh, your chisel and and, and 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 so I think over time you do get feedback and it's it's a constant message iteration process that you know every company we work with is is always improving. It's nice to have a story that everybody can stick to, but you also are learning more about what your product or but service is. But it's always is. got a core to it, though. I mean, the core piece of it is there. I mean, that obsessive mission that you talk about. But the, 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 way mission, you, the mission is there, but how you connect with other people, how you get them to relate to it, how you get them to respond and say yes, that's a never-ending battle. Yeah, it's an important message, yeah. important yeah. lesson. Yeah. Important. All right, I, w- I want to do a couple of quick questions and change up, <laughs> get off the seriousness <laughs> a little bit, but some of it's serious, but... I. Could I'm a, I could sit here and do this all day with you because I really enjoy talking to you. Hey, if you what person in from history? This is kind of my rapid fire. I just ask you a bunch of mm-hmm. things. What what person from history would you like to have dinner with that you've never had dinner with? If you could think back, who it would be? Who would it be? Probably Winston Churchill. Oh, wouldn't that be good? Oh man, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. I I would you have dinner with him or would you drink uh, like bourbon or what would he drink? He would brandy. He used to drink brandy. I could I've read a lot of books about him. Yeah, yeah. I would have brandy with him, wouldn't you? Yeah, I I, I would do anything with Winston it, Churchill. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much, uh, man. He's he's. I just I still remember yeah. that. Remember that classic story about the woman that went up to him and said, "I don't like you," and, or something. And he, he eventually said, "You know, woman, I'll wake up and tomorrow I won't be ugly," or something. I thought that was funny. I can't remember that. We can look that up. Someone looked that up. Hey, what historical event would you? Because I like every time I think of you, I, I will I will tell you, I think mm-hmm. about pivotal moments in history mm-hmm. because of because I've you know read the stuff from you and and I've been a fan, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, I read about Spencer Trask and the legacy and the things. That you guys have done, and then I look at what you know—not what he just did, but what you've done, and what the company—you've been behind some of the biggest things in, in history. And so, when I see these historical moments, I think about you in history. So, what historical event would you have liked to have witnessed? I—I I would have liked to have witnessed the um, the day when the Salk vaccine was announced safe. Yeah. That was in April of 1955, and uh, that was probably one of the most important days in this country's medical history. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one where I think everybody in the country shared in, in the joy that, you know, polio was quickly going to be a thing of the past. When you, when you think about that, you know, that's the one vaccine that we're all marked by, right? That we all see that everybody had. That's the one thing that we all have in common, quite frankly, with a lot of people. When you think about that, right? Because don't we get that little thing on our arm? Or are used to? Maybe it's done differently today. Yeah, it's done. Is it done differently yeah, today? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's done differently. I can remember we used to have. Well, maybe I don't know. In fact, I'm looking at the couple you got of a young, tattoo, young right? people. There's yeah, a little you tattoo yeah, on your arm. Right, it's yeah, a little different. Yeah. And uh, we're going to make you guys pull your shirts up and see if that's the case. Hey, you got your undergrad uh, degree at Indiana, and you went to Masters in Harvard. Um, yeah. I have to ask you, what's a what's a Hoosier? You know? Hoosier is uh, <laughs> a boy from Indiana or a girl from Indiana. Is that what really? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Is that not like a more classical definition than that? Yeah, okay. uh, we, we were known as friendly people, and I guess the expression came from uh, if a stranger was coming uh, along and you needed, uh, you know, something to eat. Uh, it was like, who's there? 
Who's there? Is that right? And that's where who's your I'm going to look that up now. I'm going to check it. I want to know. What was the name of the famous thea- theatrical society at Harvard? Come on, this is see that now. This is where I get to ask you questions. You might not even know the answer. So I love this. Uh, come no, on. I, I don't know. Oh, come I, on, I'm, hasty, not, a, I'm not a thespian. No, I was going to ask you. Are you a thespian? No, you don't. You, what, do you go to plays? And I was uh, graduate school too, by the way. Oh, that was grad. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, true. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, we'll give you credit for that. <laughs> hasty pudding, by the way. Yeah, yeah, hasty okay. pudding. All right. And who was the last U.S. president to receive a degree from Harvard? George Bush. No, Barack Obama. Oh yeah, I, I, he's I, not. He's not the last. Oh, uh, he's the uh, present. He's uh, the <laughs> present. Okay, nice, nice try, nice try. He's the eighth U.S. president to have graduated from Harvard. Yeah, I didn't know that, but that's wow. He's the that's the he's 1991 graduate of Harvard Law School. Give him credit for that. Hey, um, this is the time in which I give you an opportunity because uh, we're, as we're wrapping up, if I can give you any shameless plug that you'd like to make. Mm-hmm. What would you like to do? This is where you, I, I get to thank you for coming on board. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I just would encourage your listeners to think big. It's not a plug. It's just a, uh, uh, you know, an aspiration. The world has a lot of uh, problems in it, and I believe that every problem can be solved if people get together and have a common... Um, mission um, and use advanced technologies to get there I um, you know I think we, we, we live in an incredible time when we're all connected either through the internet or through uh, mobile phones or you know social networks so the ability for people to identify problems is literally instantaneous the ability for people to organize and, and rally around solutions to those problems is nearly instantaneous. And um, I don't think that there's any issue or problem that we can't work together to solve. Um, so I, I think the missing piece and the big uh, gap in the world right now is that what's what we were talking about earlier, the short-term thinking. Mm-hmm. If you can solve any problem and get everybody catalyzed in, in such an immediate frame you've got to keep people from getting distracted uh from that mission so again back to the obsessiveness of um you know whether it's an individual entrepreneur or um, a movement of people uh like the the march of dimes that that funded jonas salk's vaccine for instance a hundred million people got together to solve a problem so it was a and think about the odds of that back then, and how the, yeah. the 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 infrastructure that had to occur. Yeah. Yeah. And today, it's it, as you said. I, I'm thinking about another investment yeah. I just yeah. recently made yeah. about two scientists who came together because of the internet. Mm-hmm. One of them was 80 some years old, been mm-hmm. working on it all of his life, mm-hmm. and read an article on the internet. He's in a nursing home mm-hmm. in Iowa, mm-hmm. reads an article mm-hmm. of someone here in Long Island, mm-hmm. puts the two together. Boom. That's they it. Think, and that's, that's, that's it. it. Bingo. Yeah. That's it. So, um, you know, that's not a plug. It's, uh, you know, it's the reality of the time we live in. So yeah. let's, let's, let's work together. And uh, well, I think it is a plug. It's a good thing. It's a good call. It's a good call to action. It's which a good is call great. to action. And, uh, you know, I think it applies to pretty much every problem we've got in the world right now. Well, and then, and, and there's going to be good companies like yourself and others who are going to be there to help fund some of those, which will be great. So again, thank you very much for joining. Thank you, Jeff. All right, my friend. Great. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world. Jeffrey Hazlett hosts all business. Brought to you by Fortunate. 
At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned, and I love deep thinkers like this. I had Seth Godin on not too long ago. If you haven't caught that one, there's another deep thinker, and Kevin Kimberlin is one of those deep thinkers. And I got to tell you, the first takeaway that I had was short-term versus long-term. You know, we talk about that, but there are people who really say, look, we have to think bigger, and I love that he does that, not just because he was, you know, saying think big, act bigger on my book, but I'm really saying about thinking big that are looking at long-term huge problems, not things that, you know, we solve it or we drink it or we eat it and we feel good. I'm talking about big stuff. And that's, he's saying that we've got to do more there. And that's a great learning. And there's more value there, by the way. There's a lot of value there that we're leaving on the table for a lot of us. And then I loved that obsessed missionary. You know, that it's, you're going to take flack, people are going to give you hard, they're going to attack you, that's the nature of the game. But that obsessed missionary, that's what he's looking for, that's what his firm is looking for, that's what other firms look for, someone who could withstand all the attacks, the verbal abuse, and everything else that's going to come your way with coming up with big ideas, but you've got to be able to do that. And that's what we learned here today on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Don't forget, on Play.it iTunes everywhere. Tell your friends, download, subscribe, and I'll see you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.